0: How's it going, young adults? Yes. Cool. I just want to say, isn't Daisy just beautiful on that video? I'm jealous. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's a babe. Anyways, so my name is Whitney Bess, and I am here um, working on staff alongside some of the coolest people, most talented people, um, most humble people, Jess, Doug, Charlotte, Connor, and our new interns, Jackie, Tevin, and Neil. I'm honored to work next to you guys. And there's, I can only see good things ahead in your future. So, um, but before we get going tonight, I'm not up here a whole lot. But when I am, I feel like big things happen in my life. So last time I had just gotten engaged, and now I'm married. I'm a married woman. Yeah, go throw those pictures up on stage. Yeah. The Lord was good to me. I mean, look how handsome he is. Yeah, ladies, seriously, find a man that always pursues you. And guys, if you're in, the, and if you're in here and you're looking for a woman, man, find a woman that fears the Lord and never stop pursuing her. Amen? <laughs> awesome. Um, who actually is married in here? Do we have any married people? Okay. A couple? How about Engaged? Engaged? Yes! What about single? (laughs) Awesome. I love it. I love it. So, we're in a series called Salts of the Earth, and the whole purpose of this series is to bring lost and broken people home. That the city of Denver will live out the truth of the gospel, that the city of Denver will be a city on a hill for the rest of our nation to see. That the city of Denver will know who the true Jesus is. And so tonight, um, that fires me up, man. I'm so excited. I've come so expectant that God is going to do a new thing in this place. Man, I'm believing that tonight's just not an ordinary night. That you don't leave um, your chair in these doors and say, man, that was just another message of someone trying to coax me into inviting someone into faith. No, I'm praying that your faith is stirred in such a way that you leave these doors and all you're consumed with winning people to Jesus. And so if you guys are taking um, notes tonight, I have titled this message, All I Do Is Win Some. Can you say that with me? All I do is win, win, win. No? <laughs> awesome. So um, will you, <laughs> so you guys pray with me and ask Jesus to be in here in this place tonight? God, um, I just thank you so much. For um, what you're about to do here in this place tonight. Jesus, I ask for you to be here. And God, something so deep in my spirit I wanted to um, cry out for this nation tonight. God, I just pray that um, you bring peace to our nation. You bring unity to our nation, God. That it says in, in your word that whether two or more are in agreement, so it, I shall do with that in earth as it is in heaven, and so, God, we are in agreement for our nation to find um, your perfect love that casts out all fear, and so, God, I just, um, I thank you for tonight. I lay myself down in front of my family and my friends and my peers so that you are the only person in this room that is glorified tonight, and everybody said amen. Okay, I have to take a poll. Who in here has siblings? Raise your hand. Almost everybody. Okay, who in here has had a fight with a sibling? Yes, I'm preaching to the choir, okay? So I am a middle child. I uh, I have two sisters, one older and one younger, and we are all a year apart, okay? So go ahead and throw that picture up there. Aw. Don't, uh, look at my teeth. That is not ah. Okay. No, I love that. Okay, I have to preface all these stories, but I love my sisters. We still have a very good relationship. But, man, we used to get in some fist bites, okay, like brawls. Like we were little angels on the outside and UFC fighters on the inside, okay? So I remember this one time, one time in particular. Um, I'm, I've always been pretty, like, small in stature. So I had to use, like, logic to, if I really wanted to win. I had to use this guy. And so I remember um. I don't even remember what the fight was about. It probably was, like, I had bad breath in the morning or something. Like, we fought about that. So I I slammed the door into the bathroom, and I'm like, okay, how am I going to get out of this? Like, if I open this door right now, my older sister is going to beat me to a pulp. And so I was like, okay, I open my dresser or my drawer, and I see nail clippers. (laughs) Some of you might know where this story is heading, but I, like, cut my nails into the perfect point, like, sharp. (laughs) Okay, I made catnails cool before Rihanna did, okay? Yeah, where do I cash in on starting trends? Anyways, so I walk out, and man, they didn't touch me. They didn't touch me. Because, and I'm surprised, honestly, that my parents just didn't, like, pull out the popcorn and start watching us fight. Because there's something so intriguing about a fight. Have you guys seen a good fight? Yeah? Yeah, it's kind of like a train wreck where, like, you... It's a it's a little unpredictable. You don't really know what's happening, but you can't look away. You have to keep watching at all costs. And so, um, and I know that this is true. I know that we love a good fight because we pay big money, big money. So maybe you go to I don't know if you like hockey. We go to an avalanche game, and then we we are like hoping and praying that someone illegally checks a player. Like one of our forwards and the defensive back, like Cody McLeod, comes and just wails on that guy's face, and we start screaming and cheering because we want to see blood. We want to see the helmet thrown off. We want to see the jersey ripped off. Okay, and if you're not, maybe not, you're not a hockey person. Maybe um, you're really into fighting, and we and we paid like the TV screen money to watch Conor McGregor get laid out by Nate Diaz, and then only get more excited by the like they're going to rematch and that pumps us up inside and ladies we're not off the hook either okay we indulge ourselves in shows like real housewives of orange county and we are get down on our hands and knees and we pray that tamra judge starts drama that turns into world war three right or we or we watch the bachelorette <laughs> yes and we and we like okay i'm sorry i have to get something off my chest Everybody in here, if you watch The Bachelorette, we all wanted Chad to punch Evan in the face this season, okay? Making it the most dramatic season ever, as promised, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And this is how we are, this is how our culture works. We eat up this idea of a good fight. The, the, the fight between good versus evil gets something stirring on the inside of us. And so Paul writes this letter to a guy named Timothy, and he uses this analogy, this analogy of not just any fight, but a good fight. And so I I just want to give you some context before we get into this particular passage of Scripture. And so Paul is in the middle of a jail cell um, during a time in history where the city of Corinth puts on these games, and they're called the Isthmian Games. So think like the Olympics, big, there's universal buzz, there's people talking about it all the time, there's national coverage, people are making bets on who's going to win. And um, some of the uh, games that are involved in this, Isthmian games, are chariot races and um, track and field, poetry reading, which is just awesome. And then um, the crowd favorite by far was this game called Pancration. And that means hand-to-hand combat. And this this game was brutal. It was gruesome. There wasn't really like any rules, hardly any rules. And so um, and so for the sake of the story, I kinda want you to imagine yourself going down to Rio this summer, this August, and kind of sitting down at a coffee shop and you know, writing a letter to your little brother, probably a postcard. And you're seeing these, like, Usain Bolt-looking men, like, pass you by in the street and Serena Williams-looking women that can, like, eat you for breakfast, just, like, ordering coffee right in front of you. And you're like, oh, my gosh. So everything, what you're, what you're going to write about, what you're going to talk about, what you're going to share with your brother is to some degree going to be focused around what you're seeing and experiencing. So Paul is smack in the middle of culture, most, much like ours today, this summer, and he um, writes a letter to Timothy. And in this letter, he says, man, pursue contentment over the love of money. Man, stay vigilant for false teachers of the gospel. Don't be easily fooled. And, and, and he uncovered the folly of greed. And I love how he ends his letter. And this is powerful. And he says this. It's First Timothy 6.12. But you, Timothy, but you, young adult, are a man, men and women of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, taking hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so I was reading um, a couple commentaries on this particular passage and John Piper actually um, had this analogy, which I loved, and he said that some Um, coaches will say to their boxers, man, fight the good fight, and you're going to take home the gold. And Paul says that the same thing is true about faith, that man, faith takes hold of eternal life. And so let's all um, get on the same page of faith, like what is faith? And Hebrews 11 says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Let me say that again. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. So if my faith, if your faith is the confidence of what you hope for and the assurance of what you do not see takes hold of eternity, then what does that mean for our unsaved friends? And I found it interesting that um, in this particular um, context of scripture, the word fight in Greek is agoniziumai, which literally means to engage in conflict. And there's been a conflict going on for a very long time. Ever since before um, Genesis, well, I think it enters in Genesis 1, <laughs> Long before we were ever created into existence, and Ephesians 6 says the fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. So this means that the battle is against spiritual forces of evil fighting for souls. Man, the soul of your dad, the soul of your friend, the soul of your coworker, the soul of the guy that just cut you off in traffic driving here. The soul of the guy that you help bench press at the gym every day and you don't know his name. And scripture backs this up in 1 Peter and he says, Satan roams around the whole earth like a roaring lion, prowling, waiting for someone to devour. To steal, kill, and destroy people's purpose, calling, life, eternities. And he uses tactics like alcoholism, fear, anger, depression, sadness, pain. Selfish desires. All he dreams about is the demise of humanity. And he chomps at the bit to suffer with souls for eternity. And this is the fight that we are called to engage in. And I love how Christine Kane puts it. She says, you have to go for them to come. At some point, you have to go and engage with a lost and a broken world for people to encounter Jesus. So when was the last time you engaged in this fight for souls? Better question, when was the last time you engaged for a single soul? And I know that this is like super heavy, so heavy. And so I'm going to try to bring this um, down to earth a little bit. And so if I'm like supposed to fight, like how do I fight? Like what, who are some of the greatest fighters in the world? And I think we all can agree that it's Navy SEALs. (laughs) They're hardcore people. Hallelujah for Navy SEALs. And I I found this this quote on the Navy SEAL webpage. And these are the skills that they they train for. They have to develop these to be the best fighters in the world. And this is what it said. A fight takes endurance, an unbelievable sense of self-confidence, strength, training, an unstoppable sense of tenacity, courage, determination, and self-discipline. So I want to ask these questions tonight. Man, do you have faith like this for your friends? Does your faith endure amidst rejection? Is your faith confident in the gospel? Does your faith produce strength or does it crumble under maybe an uncomfortable situation or peer pressure? Do you subject your faith to be trained? In other words, do you let the Holy Spirit move on your behalf or would you rather choose comfortability? Does your faith have a tenacity to keep trying? Does your faith exhibit courage even when you're scared? To quote Doug Beckenman, is your faith determined to see people come alive in Christ? Or do you judge them? Do you stereotype them? Put them into boxes? Man, I do this all the time. You know, I've tried. I've tried with her. I've tried with him. So, you know, I'm just going to wipe my hands and move on. Or maybe for you, it's like I had an encounter and she said the F-bomb 30 times. I know because I was counting. She's so far from God. I don't want to try anymore. We do this, and, and is your faith disciplined to subject you in opportunities that share the gospel, or does it hinge upon your emotional state that day? I and mean, I don't really want to try. I don't, do you know what the day I'm having? I don't want to pray for you. I don't feel like it. And if you've like nailed all those questions, man, then you can slowly get up out of your chair and make your way closest. To the exit doors because you are the perfect Christian. Man, I'm right there with you. This is hard stuff. This is the hardest thing you will ever have to go through on this side of eternity the Great Commission. There's friction there. been fighting to share our faith, fighting to be a light amidst such incredible darkness. We can agree, there's some dark things going on right now. And Paul makes the case that, man, though, if we engage in this fight and never, and staying confident of the process of God, over their lives, never giving up even if we do not see it, staying confident of, assured of the salvation that they can accept in a moment. Man, the reward is eternal life. And not just for you, but for the people you touch. Aren't you so glad that no one stopped fighting for your life? I'm so glad a whole group of people kept fighting to see me come alive in Christ, to see me take hold of my destiny, take hold of my purpose. And so um, before we move on, I just want to take a big time out here um, and make something crystal clear. And hear me when I say that um, having faith that fights to see people come alive in Jesus is not mustering up more faith. So if someone tries coming up to you and saying, well, you know, your sister's not saved because you don't pray enough. Your, Your mom's not saved because you don't have enough faith. Man, don't listen to them. They have drank the Kool-Aid that is not the gospel. In fact, yeah, Jesus says in Luke 17, man, faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Salvation is a gift that only God can give. Are you with me? So what I am saying is that, man, people, never stop fighting for people. Never give up on people. Our faith always has an objective. Faith is abiding, staying anchored in what we do not see. And faith should work amidst disappointment. Faith is believing that salvation for your unsafe friends is working even when the pro- process is invisible. Let me say that again. Faith is believing that salvation for your unsafe friends is still working even when the process is invisible. Man, subjecting yourself to God and saying, God, move on my behalf. Move I want to see people come alive in Jesus. Man, that's why Paul says the faith fight is good. And I love here that he doesn't use any other word. He says good, that's it. He doesn't say comfortable. He doesn't say that it's going to be easy. He doesn't say that it's going to be even non-awkward. It's going to be awkward sometimes. But he says that it's good, that there is nothing greater than pouring out yourself for the people around you to come to know, to see it click in their eyes for the first time. And so I met this girl um, about two years ago in our youth group here. And our youth group here is unreal. So let me pause and say, if you guys don't have a mission field, if you guys go to a Christian school and you're like, I don't know any non-believers. Get plugged in to Red Rock's Church Youth and pour into a 16-year-old kid. Okay. So as we <laughs> So we started getting to know each other and I heard more of her story. And she said to me, Man, my dad is a non-believer, but I have confidence that he's gonna to come to know Jesus. And she kept praying for him and inviting him. And week after week after week went by, nothing, not even a slight change in behavior. Until one day, I remember we were at the Golden Campus, and she comes running up to me, and she says, my dad is coming to church for the first time. And I said, and she's like, will you pray for him? Pray that something clicks. Pray that something divine happens. And man, her faith was moving. It was touching. It challenged me. And so he starts coming week after week after week. And so I want you guys to watch David's story.
1: I grew up in, the, in England, uh, in the London area, and uh, you know, for a large chunk of my life, um, the environment that I grew up in, the society I grew up in, family environment, it was very secular. I'd probably describe it as people were agnostic, including myself, you know, rather than you know, atheist. And my daughter Sophie, you know, she's, a, she's a very uh, active member of Red Rocks, uh, went through Red Rocks youth and, and now she's young adults. And, and she really kind of you know, introduced me to, to Red Rocks and to and so the idea of, of living your life that way. Um, and so I saw it through her. Um, and then I did some other uh, work with her. I went to Camp Barnabas um, last, this past summer. Uh, and for me that was kind of a tipping point. So my daughter signed up for the whole summer um, and then I signed up to be an adult volunteer. Um, for the final week uh, uh, of the camp. Very, very hard work, uh, incredibly hard work, um, but um, the, the missionaries that were in the cabin, were, they were all paired up with, uh, with one of the campers, and, and the campers in, in our cabin, for the most part, were um, nonverbal, cerebral palsy, um, boys uh, right on the very high-end uh, spectrum of autism. So it was really hands-on, 24-7, Literally, um, we would do everything for them. There was one kid in particular uh, called Lance. He was 15, 16 years old, um, severe autism, nonverbal. And, and he was uh, the kid that I was assigned to the most, that look, I looked after the most. And I helped his missionary um, every day with him. And the one precise moment, it was um, the last day of camp, uh, the last evening, and they had a... Um, a procession of the cross. So they brought a cross um, down this pathway past all of the cabins, and on the cross were names of uh, campers that had passed away. When it reached our cabin, um, you know, I reached out and touched it. Uh, and Lance, who, you know, his attention span obviously is, you know, was 10 seconds maybe, you know, um, and again, he's, he was very you know, nonverbal. Um, but he, he, reached, he reached up for me. At, at the precise moment, the exact moment that I touched across. cross, he, he reached up to be picked up, to be held, which wasn't typical of him anyway during the week. So I picked him up um, and he just hugged me, wrapped his arms and legs around me, um, and he just held my gaze. He just looked directly in my face for maybe a minute, 45 seconds a minute, he just held my gaze, and he just smiled and, smiled and smiled and smiled and smiled, like endlessly, which, again, wasn't typical behavior for him, you know. And so and I just felt this, this bolt of electricity just, like, go enter through the top of my head, go all the way through me. It was just so strong and so powerful, and and I knew what was happening at that moment, you know. I knew exactly what was going on. That sealed the deal for me. That, that was unquestionably, uh, next to my daughter's birth, that was the most powerful and happiest moment of my life, for sure. Obviously, I have to give thanks to my daughter, Sophie, who um, is just my angel, really, in so many ways, almost figuratively and literally. She's just my angel, and I think I think without her in our lives and, and without the direction that she, she chose, I think um, I'm not sure this day would have come necessarily at all, but I'm, I'm not sure this day would have come you know, as quickly as it has. So thank you, Sophie, for keeping on working on me. Um, it paid off.
0: remember seeing that story and I was just so blown away because you never know the path that people are on. And man, I saw Sophie fighting for her dad for so many years for this one divine moment and then everything changed. And that's what we're called to. We're called to fight for people and that when you fight for people, miracles happen, lives change, hearts become open and so um, that's our job, right? As Christians, that's our job is to win some. And um, I love how Paul describes it, it again in 1 Corinthians 9. And, he, and he's talking to the Corinthians and he says, who are notoriously known for their doubt. He uses the same analogy in the same jail cell that he wrote to Timothy in the same city, uses the same verbiage. And he says this, he says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews, to those under the law I became as one under the law, though not of being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law, to those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under uh, under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law, to the weak I became the weak, so I might win the weak, I have become all things to all people, that I might That by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. And just a quick note before we finish this passage, Doug last week talked about how you're not gonna bring a pork chop and a bag of bacon to a Jewish party. And Paul says the same thing: like, I become all things to all people, so I might win some. And here's my translation: don't be weird. (laughs) I see so many Christians be weird. And I, I would, I would argue that Paul would, if he was on this stage right now, he's man, man, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And my favorite passage, one of my favorite stories, actually, when people refute me on this, I'm like, "Mm, okay, well, actually, like I'm just being like Paul, and I'm like, no, you're not, because Paul went when he first visited Athens, and he met the Athenians for the first time. Scripture literally tells us that he walked around the city talking to people, asking questions, and observed them before he knew his approach to preach the gospel. So man, take someone out to coffee. Genuinely ask them how they are. Learn about them. What makes them happy? What makes them sad? What are their passions? And then weave in the gospel. Man, be available to people. Just the other day, Connor and I were returning a whole bunch of stuff from our wedding gifts the people got us at Bed Bath & Beyond, and some guy was yelling at the clerk, yelling, like angry. And I see Conrad just run after him. He's like, man, can I pray for you? Man, be available to people. And I'm convinced that Paul's life probably looked like the most inconsistent Christian from a Christian's perspective. And yet he pursued one goal, and that was to win more people back to Jesus You know, one moment he was at a Jewish purification ceremony, preaching the gospel. And then the next minute he was like in the club, hitting up beta with the Gentiles, (laughs) preaching the same message. And then rolling up the next morning by sun up to the synagogue and pointing fingers, saying, hey, no, the gospel's not like that. So I digress. He was of the world. He was in the world. He was in the world. But he was not of it. And so, Ben, you guys um, can come back out here. And we're going to finish with this last part of, of this passage. It says, do you, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He's talking about the games. So I do not run aimlessly, I fight, same word as before, to engage in conflict. Not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so Paul's saying the same message as before, man, fight for people. (laughs) Have faith that the gospel can reach people in the pit of their sin, and on the mountaintop of self-glorification, which is our culture that we're living in today. Allow your faith to be trained. Man, discipline your faith to not be quiet. To share the gospel. Man, invite someone to the meetup. Do you know right now that we're living in a city where 101,000 people are moving here every single year? And we come in on a night like tonight and we say, yes, Lord, there's 700 people seeking your face. But I, my prayer for this group of people is that we are not satisfied. Then we walk in and we say, we're not even the 1% of people moving here. Man, people are out there. The harvest is plenty in my city. If you wanna keep fighting for comfortability, man, keep punching the air. You're, you're fighting for nothing because people are out there lost and broken. They don't know, they, they're looking for a savior. They're looking for someone to heal them from their past they're looking they're searching for hope and life and purpose and for a lot of us including myself man why when did we stop fighting for them and in James it says that um, in these last days the days that we're living in right now that the, the church us the people in the church we are the church it will be an oasis for dry souls and and we know the end game right In Revelation 19, it says that the sky is going to open and that the Messiah Jesus is going to come down on a white horse with the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords tattooed on his thigh. And he's going to be breathing out the word of God. It says like a sharp sword. So man, in this moment, I want to be knee deep in this fight for people. Fighting for souls, man, to encounter that man. Because they're going to one day. And so Paul urges, he almost like begs the Corinthians, man, don't disqualify yourselves. Don't disqualify yourselves, young adults. Because if you stop engaging with this world, if you stop engaging with broken people, you have lost the plot. The reward of seeing people come to know Jesus and enter into relationship with Jesus is the good fight. And so, um." I'm gonna end tonight with one last story. And um, I don't know, uh, uh, probably a whole bunch of you actually don't know my story. Um, But my beautiful mother, um, if you were privileged to know her, you are a privileged one. Um, She was meek in spirit, but she was bold in faith. She fought for people. And so um, she battled cancer for six years and then ended up going um, and being home with her healer three weeks before my wedding. And I don't say that to like stir something emotional on the inside of you or for pity, but I have learned through these last couple weeks, man, it's only about people. It's only about people coming into a relationship with Jesus. Man, and we're getting story after story after story of people writing in and saying, man, I was, I was in the worst place of my marriage. I was ready to give up, get a divorce. And then there was Betty. She called it almost the perfect time, almost too perfect. And it saved our marriage, she fought for my marriage. And then so that I fought for my marriage and she pushed me closer to Jesus. Or, man, I lost my brother well before I should have to a terrible illness. I was ready to just curse God and give up. But, man, there was Betty right next to me, working, showering me with the promises of God, allowing me to trust Him again, to not give up hope. Or, man, I went through a season of horrible self mutilation. All I could think about was suicide and getting myself out of this terrible depression. But then there was Betty. And she took me into her home. And she showed me the love of the Father for the first time. And I accepted Jesus that night. Or man, I was about to get my first round of chemo. And there was Betty, in a wheelchair, asking to pray for me. Man, story after story after story. Of people saying how, man, my mom fought for me. And she fought, I saw it, she fought for her friends, she fought for her co-workers, she fought for her daughters. She fought for literally every single person that waited her table, every single time. I was embarrassed sometimes. (laughs) She was in the battle of her life, and yet she fought for people, souls, to come to know Jesus. And Paul, at the end of his life, says, man, I have fought the good fight. I have laid it all down for the gospel. And so what about you? What are people going to say about you? Are they going to say, man, Abby had a great 401k, and she really provided for her family, which is cool. Good job or man Bob really taught me how to fly fish it's one of my favorite hobbies man Cody worked so hard in his 20s to buy a brand new Mercedes when he turned 30 are they going to get up one day when you breathe your last and are they going to say man July 26th was the day that changed my life forever I met up with the creator of the universe and he broke my chains of addiction. Man, he gave me a new life. He took out my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh and he used her, he used him and now he uses me. Man, I wanna have a life like that. I wanna have a life that says people come up and say, man, she fought for me to come and see and taste and see that God is so good. I don't want to live a life of, um, you know, almost. I almost prayed for that person. I almost shared the gospel with that person. I almost called that person. I didn't. I don't know why. What are people going to say about you? And so tonight, um, as we end, can everybody stand up? And I just wanna pray um, a prayer of blessing over you guys. As you leave these doors, you will feel so courageous and bold to enter into, to engage in this fight for people because it's worth it. But as I'm praying and um, as the worship team starts playing, um, maybe you have someone in your mind right now and all you can think about is them. Man, if this person came to know Jesus, how would their life look? I encourage you to come down here. We have cloth and write it down. Or if you're watching online, write write it down in your room and pray for them and take action and invite them, share the gospel with them. Maybe for the the first time or maybe you're challenged in this place tonight to try again. And so with everyone's heads bowed, um, Jesus, I just thank you so much for your gift of salvation. God, I don't know where I'd be without you. And so Jesus, I pray right now that as these young adults leave here tonight, leave this place, man, I pray that they are bold and courageous, that they always take the opportunity to share your word, to share your life, God, because it's life changing. And so God, I just pray right now that we are not, we leave these doors and we don't just say, man, that was a good message, but that we actually start fighting for people God, I pray blessing over this group. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.